Uh, let's see. If you haven't been with us, we've been in this series, uh, All Things Rise, for the last few weeks. We'll end it next next week, obviously, at Easter, and then we're going to have, I think, uh, I, I forget. I forget where I'm going. But anyway, um, I, I want to begin by praying for us. I, I want to remind you, too, that we have these prayer cards back there by the coffee, uh, just uh seven days, like different things for you to pray day by day. And uh, Sundays are freedom. So let me pray freedom over us right now. Freedom from spiritual attack, freedom from all that stuff. Father, I, I ask that you would uh, fill this place with your spirit right now. Fill our hearts, our minds with your spirit. We ask that your presence this morning would be very real and very noticeable to all of us. We ask that you would protect and empty out this physical space right now of anything that would seek to bring uh, confusion or bitterness or jealousy or anything like that. We pray that our minds right now would just be surrounded by you and that everything that we are at this moment in time would be able to focus well. So we pray that you would stake out your claim right now in this space this morning. Protect your children. Sit them on your lap. Let us hear your voice. Let us understand what you are saying to us. We love you so much. And we know that oftentimes we are not as responsive to our Heavenly Father as we should be. So we pray that you would make us responsive this morning. That you would set the stage for us to respond to you and therefore for us to glorify your name. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians one twenty seven, great verse. I love this verse. I'm going to read it a few times because I, I just want it to sink in. Uh, it says, but God shows the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God shows the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Now, think about that a little bit. Let it sink into you, to your heart and your mind. Uh, remember, he's talking about you and me, the foolish and the weak, right? Uh, I don't mean that to be a slight to you, but as, as we go on, you'll understand that's actually a good thing. But it says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. The wise and the strong, the foolish and the weak, right? Just set, set uh, against each other this morning. Now, God is not uh, put off by weakness. He's not offended by weak people. Thank the good Lord in heaven, because I am very weak and very foolish at times. Uh, it's good, you know, because we're, if we're honest, we, we're all sort of occasionally, if not exclusively, weak people. You remember, it is not uh, sort of self-confident erudition. It's not uh, the, the amount of knowledge that we have. It's, it's not our intelligence levels and all that stuff. But it is self-effacing faith which allows one to enter the way of Christ. Let me say that twice. It is not self-confident erudition, the amount of knowledge, our intellect, and all that kind of stuff, intelligence and all that stuff, but it is self-effacing faith which allows one to enter the way of Christ. 
There's a very real humility about our walk in Jesus. So for those of us who are aware of our frailty, by the way, I want to just say we have a little problem with the ACs or I would have them on. They, they're just not running this morning for some strange reason. So Bob, by the oh, thank Bob and Bill. They put a new floor in the, uh, in the elevator and they put a new light back there and then we got a new baby changing table. There are diapers and all kinds of little baby junk back there in those drawers. Mom's. Have at it, Dad, you know, or send your, your husband to have at it. Hey, there he is, little Asher. Woohoo! A new member to 6 8. Look at that. Amen. But, for, <laughs> wow, that was really off tangent, right? Uh, but <laughs> uh, for those of us who are aware of our frailty, who are open about it, right? It's good news. That's good news for us, right? And as we see here, Paul was convinced that God doesn't just work around our weakness, but his preferred method is to work through our weaknesses. That's kind of strange if you think about it, right? And what that means is that self-centered pride isn't an option for the Christian. Self-centered pride is just not within our repertoire, (laughs) our tool bag, right? That's not where we lead from. And we know, actually, that no one really respects those who don't acknowledge their own weaknesses before other people, right? The arrogant, the powerful may be feared, but they're never really respected. They forego the, the uh, you know, loving relationships in life. They miss out on all the rich blessing of vulnerability and authentic living. They really just can't get into it with people. Yet those who are self-aware, who are re, you know, real about themselves, who lead out of weakness, are people that can be trusted and even embraced by others. They give and they receive love given that they're not in it to win it. Rather, they are for the betterment for everybody. They want what's good for everybody. They can love their neighbor as themselves, like Jesus asked us to do or told us to do, commanded us to do, actually. They're not unhealthily dependent on others. You know, they don't have such a deep, insecure need for others, right? Neither are they independent of others, you know, an island unto itself, just walking out there on their own. Rather, they are interdependent in community, given that they know they have something to give as well as receive. They need other people, but they can also give to other people, right? So they reflect that godly agape love that we talked about last week. And we see that worldly power and coercion and anger never engage true relationship. They don't. They only foster control. They only foster fear. And when people lead out of fear and anger and things like that, they create relational distance and dissonance, don't they? Nobody can come together. So here's a few questions to get your little minds thinking about all this. Do you ask for help? It's a simple question, right? Do you ask for help? Are you open about your need? Right? With other people. Would you ever simply say, can you pray for me? I really need it. 
Or do you put on the game face, right? Like hiding behind false achievements or degrees and your accomplishments and all that stuff, making yourself really look good. Do you actually, do you actually engage with church community being known by others, allowing yourself to be known, let, letting people see your heart and also knowing others? Getting deeper and closer with people and doing ministry with each other, reciprocating in ministry, letting people see your weakness. Something's going on in there, right? <laughs> Praise God I'm past that, dude. Like, oh, oh gosh. Amen. You know, she's watching her grandkids right now. She's like, I'm too old for this. It is hard, hard work. God bless you, moms and dads and little babies. Woo! Thank God. Oh, our international travel with four little children is a nightmare. I'm telling you that right now. Especially when, what was it? I forget what the airline was, the British, British Airways or something like that. They wouldn't let our kids lay down on an international flight. I wanted to strangle those people. It really was a test of my Christian love. But... <laughs> Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Last question. Do you fight for only what you desire? For only what you want, right? Or do you actually want what is better for everybody involved? Those are good questions to think about. But we see that the weak are made strong not through self-aggrandizement, but they are made strong through vulnerability and openness. They rely on God and other people. They rely on God and the community of faith, right? So the one who can say, I'm scared, right? When you can openly say to other people, I'm scared, I need help, or my anger's got the better of me, whatever it is, right? I need help. I feel inadequate. I need Jesus. But I also need Jesus to be working through you guys, right? That's the person that God can work with. And that's the person that people can work with, actually. Right? But those who hide their fear and hide their shame, reacting in anger and pride, close themselves off from God's blessing. By the way, you know, I know some of your stories are horrific. I've heard some of them. I haven't heard all of them. We're all grown-ups, man. We know how horrible people can be to each other. We know the, the devastation that people can meet out on each other. People are not going to be that surprised about your story. They'll actually be really, like, dive into it with you. They will embrace you if you lead through that weakness. And that's power. That's real power. See, God uses weakness, right? God is using the foolish and the weak to accomplish his purposes, and all the while, most of the world strives only to be wise and strong, right? And that is, of course, a sort of a deep dive into denial. Because if we're honest, who's really wise and strong among us? Even those who are winning by the world's standards are very broken people, if we want to admit it. The image that we were created in, the Imago Dei, the image of God, right, was shattered when sin entered the world. We're all broken, right? 
We're all broken, and we all need Christ to repair that image. And that's an ongoing process. It's, it's both a one-time thing in the sense of a spiritual reality that the old is new, the, the old is gone, the new has come, that we are made new in Christ and holistically, but there's a, a walking out of it in our life in the day-to-day reality of life. We're being made into the, 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 the image of Christ. We are in constant need of divine intervention of Jesus, right? You know, I remember uh, growing up in the 90s. And I remember, uh, uh, what do you call it? An entertainment just sort of shifted. I, I, I noticed it then in a, in a big way. Movies and songs no longer glorified the hero of solid character. Anybody who's a little older is going to know what I'm saying right, right away. We, I, I feel really badly for younger people that are born now and growing up they never get true romance. There's no image of true romance or of character or anything out there, really hardly. Maybe every once in a while we get a glimpse, but most of it is not. Movies and songs, they no longer glorify the hero of solid character. They really don't. But rather, they, they glorify the shrewd person. We had all the movies in the 90s come out about Wall Street, right? Like the, the, the intelligent, the guy intelligent enough to get over on other people and to gain power and wealth through either dishonest or even, or just at least questionable gain, right? And this was all uh, coming before the 90s. We know that. I mean, it doesn't all happen all at once for sure, right? But it hit its zenith right then with what we deemed or what we called the me generation. It's no longer for the betterment of humankind. Now it's all about me and how I bend the rules of morality to get to to my favor, to get what I want. Now our heroes are people of questionable moral character, aren't they? Angsty, angry, powerful people born only out of trauma, living out of their past, living out of their hurt, right? Marvel comic characters. Seeking revenge instead of actually fighting for what's right and good in the world. There is no more right or good. As we saw last week, when orthodoxy, right thinking, right and wrong, become optional, they become, they, it goes away altogether in all areas of life. And that's where we're going. But the good thing is that the me generation has all been forgotten. You, if you're young enough, you might not have ever even heard that term, the me generation. It's like a flash in a pan. Perhaps, just perhaps, the Christian dichotomy of power found in weakness is actually true, is actually real. It's actually how life works. Maybe when we're honest, we can truly admit that... that, that uh, that the truly wise and strong people are those who can admit their need, admit their frailty. Those who know that they need others and who, who know that they most definitely need Jesus. Those who can ask for help readily admitting their wrongs and their flaws. And if we explore the pages of Scripture, we notice very quickly that every biblical hero, if the moniker is even applicable to those people, right? Are they heroes? Or are they just people, right? They were, but they were all flawed, very flawed in some cases. 
Scripture takes no measure to mask their shortcomings. That's why I really think I can believe in the Bible, right? They're totally human in every sense of the word. They're just like me. Moses, for instance, was an insecure mess. He really was. If you look at it, uh, Exodus chapters 2, 3, and 4, things like this. Um, he was hidden in a basket. He was, he was found. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And then when he grew up, he got a little older, he murdered an Egyptian. And then he became like a fugitive on the run. He had to leave Egypt, if you remember the whole story. And then God calls him out of the burning bush to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, to go back and get his people and lead them out. And Moses questions God. He says, who am I? Who am I (laughs) that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites up out of Egypt? I'm a fugitive. They're going to kill me if I go back there. Who am I? And God answers, I'll be with you. I will be with you. That's his answer. Is that enough? later in the conversation, Moses asks another question. He says, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? And what if they say, the Lord didn't appear to you? Doesn't that sound familiar? His fear and his insecurity is palpable throughout this whole interaction, if you read through it. And then even after God indicates the great things, the miracles that he's going to do, and even shows him these miracles before he goes out to do them in front of Pharaoh, he, he, you know, all this stuff he's going to do through Moses, he says, pardon your servant, Lord. Sorry. Yeah, arrogant that is. When God speaks to you and says, I want you to go do this thing, and I'm going to, go, and I'm going to do it through you, and you say, pardon. Pardon your servant, Lord. It's not really like a a humble thing to say. It's a very prideful thing to say. Oh, pardon your servant, Lord. Right? I have never been eloquent. You, You don't understand. I understand me. How stupid is that, right? I've never been eloquent, neither in the past or since you've been speaking to me, right? I'm slow of speech and tongue. He's making excuses. He just doesn't want to go, right? And then when God answers that, you know, he'll give Moses the words that he'll speak through him. Moses begs. He says, pardon your servant again. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please just send somebody else. You don't get it. I'm not the right guy for the job. And at this, you know, by the way, insecurity is actually pride, extreme pride. You think you're so important that you're worried about what everybody thinks about you, right? So when I say Moses is insecure, I'm not saying he's like humble and nice. I'm saying he's being really prideful. And at this point, God's patience runs out on him and God actually gets angry. I didn't print this on the screen, but... But uh, he actually says God's anger burned against Moses. He's, he's fed up with this, right? By the way, leaders get fed up with, their, with people when they say, you, I want you to go do this. I know you can do it. And they say, no, I, I can't do that. No, I said you can't, right? I know you can. And if you would do it, you would find such blessing in it. No, 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 you can't send me, right? So he says, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? 
I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth and I will help both of you speak and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people uh, for you and it will be as if you were, if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. So I'm not letting you off the hook, Moses. I'm a little fed up with you, so I'm going to give you a provision. I'm going to let somebody go with you, a buddy, you know, so that he can speak a little bit for you. But you're going to still take the staff. You're still going to do what I've asked you to do. Don't you feel like Moses? I do. I've used this passage before here because I I think it's important. Don't you feel like that? Insecure, limited, unworthy of your calling? Not prepared? Have you ever like laid in bed at night scared to death that you're not enough for what's lying before you? I have. We all have. If we've taken any risk at all. And when God points out that he'll work through us and whatever simple thing we have in hand, he'll use, right? Like Moses' staff, when God said, Throw the staff down on the ground and it turns into something else. Like whenever God says, I will use you and I will use whatever you have in your hand, whatever simple thing, we still doubt. Still say, nah, I'm not the right guy. Not the right guy. What about David, right? David who slept with another man's wife, killed her husband, right? Wow. Yet it's just, he's described as a man after God's own heart. Isn't that weird? If you think about it, why? Because he was repentant. He knew the depths of his own depravity. I imagine every day David woke up, he could say, man, I'm a murderer. I'm an adulterer. I got that in me. I've got that in me. His power came from not denying this. His power came from understanding it embracing his sin and saying, you know what? Being, he, he was self-aware. He was authentic. He turned from his sin and back to God. His, respe- his repentance is a sign of openness. That's why repentance is so important. Of acknowledging his weakness before God and before people. You know, in Romans 7, Paul goes at length, right, about how he's prone to fall short. All the things that I do, I should not do, and do, 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 and what I should do, I don't want to do, and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's a famous passage. It's kind of like gives you a little bit of a headache reading it, right? He's painfully clear throughout the whole thing how weak and how frail he is in his human nature. And the end verse in that section is what he and all the rest of us can say, thanks be to God, because I'm really smart. I'll get through this. I'll figure it out. No, he doesn't say that. Thanks be to God who delivers me through, the, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Paul is forced, forced in weakness to his knees before God. Right? And, and he doesn't hide his frailty. Rather, he wears it openly so, for all to, so everybody can see the glory of Jesus in his life. Paul, a man who had every credential to lead out of stature and power. He was the most educated. He was a powerful guy and all this kind of stuff. He claimed, he claimed that all that, 
All of that great stuff was useless compared to knowing Christ and his resurrection. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in, in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul was a murderer. You know that? He murdered a lot of people. An authentic, weak life on display for the glory of Christ and others. He heard the Lord say to him in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And he continues, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why... For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Not when I'm smart, not when I'm stronger than you. When I am weak, then I am strong. (coughs) When we know we're weak, when we're aware of it, when we know our need, we tend to rely on Jesus. We tend to lay down all the pride, right? And we tend to rely on him. And the power of his love and the power of his truth are made manifest in us. They can be seen in us. It's living in light of all the words that grace our Christian speech so much. Words like submission and trust and faith and obedience. It's actually living out of those things. Jesus came in weakness. God become man in weakness, right? The story of Jesus is filled with weakness. Our Savior, the God of all creation, if we believe in this, right? Born a baby. God, he wasn't contractually obligated to come as a baby. He could have come up, you know, shown up in any way possible, in any form possible, you know, a conquering general with legions of angels behind him, a handsome political figure like myself, wielding, no, I'm just kidding, wielding sharp and cutting and intelligent words on people, uh, a wealthy merchant pulling the strings of City Hall from behind the curtains of finance. Could have shown up in any way, you know. But that's not him. (laughs) That's not the way of Jesus. And so if you think about it, maybe he couldn't have shown up in such ways, given it's not commiserate with his character, with who he is. You remember, Scripture teaches God is love. God is love. We talked about that last week. And maybe the fact that God is love dictates how he enters the scene when he's incarnated into our lives and lives and walks among us, maybe his love dictates exactly how that's going to happen. A baby, you know, laying on his mother's breast. Shrouded in weakness. Reliant on teenage parents. Poor. Cloaked in shame. Right? Right? Mary and Joseph forced to give birth in, in, in a stable, in this dirty stable. They didn't have any money. They give the only meager, most meager of sacrifices when Jesus is consecrated as a new, their newborn son. 
the questionable circumstances surrounding her pregnancy, right, which probably no one believed was very shameful, and it would have been punishable by death if Joseph hadn't stood beside her. Jesus is juxtaposed with people and and a world which valued only power and not weakness at all. The world we still live in. Born under the rule of Caesar Augustus, same rule who had coined, uh, they they had coined the, the good news or the gospel for his government, regarded his deity himself, you know, with rites of worship established for him, his rule to be thought to be the good news of the gospel, the final solution to world peace and order, and it was believed actually to be an unending kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. Doesn't that sound familiar? An everlasting empire. Rome was just going to take over everything and last forever with Caesar at the head of it. But through the weakness of a baby, from this little baby born in a stable, God undid the rule of Caesar Augustus. The word gospel would be usurped to mean the eternal rule of Christ, robbing Caesar of any glory and giving it all to Jesus. Augustus is hardly mentioned at all in the Scriptures, only once, by the way, to set the date of Christ's entrance into the world. It's sort of like a, a footstool for Jesus to step upon. Jesus was also born under the local rule of Herod, that despicable despot who killed two of brothers-in-law, his own uh, wife, two of his own sons. The man who ordered the massacre of all firstborn Jewish male children in fear of this coming Messiah, that he was really afraid that this coming Messiah would take over his rule. He rounded up innocent citizens five days before his own death because he was, knew he was going to die, and he ordered them to be executed when he died so that there would be proper mourning in the city. Sick dude, right? A juxtaposition of the kingdom of the world wielding all this worldly power by the sword, right? (coughs) In contrast, (coughs) sorry, in contrast to the kingdom of God wielding its power through weakness. In his infant days, Jesus spent his time as a refugee in Egypt living under Roman oppression. Divinity incarnated unafraid to be incarnated into a world of violence and hatred and fear and control as a weak, needy child dependent on teenage parents. Parents my son's age. (laughs) You've met my son, right? Is he here? (laughs) No, my son is a great kid. And in the end... Rome thinks that it's put an end to any threat by crucifying Jesus in the most shameful way, naked, hanging on a cross in front of his own mother, in front of all of his followers. But Christ's weakness would only overcome the world. Amen. And it wasn't just his childhood, right, which modeled this amazing weakness. It was his whole ministry. Uh, Lindley just mentioned the Palm Sunday, right, the Sunday. Palm Sunday, they're laying down the palm branches. He came in riding on a donkey. It was a symbol of peace. A, a guy riding side saddle on a donkey looks a lot different than a guy straddling a steed, right? That's power. This is meekness and weakness and peace. 
Two different things. In Matthew eleven nineteen, we see him as a friend of sinners. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton. Here's the drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners, and I imagine they would have said prostitutes as well, whatever, you know? Like they just, they're already hurling false accusations at him. He didn't pursue relationships with the religious elite and the powerful. He approached the weak, the needy, the despised. People like me, (laughs) right? All throughout his ministry, he was supported financially by a bunch of women. Oh, my goodness, right? Some of questionable character. And in, you know, this, that, that would raise a lot of eyebrows in sort of the power play of a patriarchal world. It was just not done. And when he went to beat the bushes for followers, he didn't go to the local seminary, the university, the military elite, the political savvy politically sadly at all he didn't go to those people he went to the fishermen and zealots and the regular joe and he said come and i'll make you fishers of men i'll make you immortal and then to top it all off our great messiah died messiahs aren't supposed to die (laughs) right they're not supposed to die they're supposed to conquer rome and live forever unending empire overcome the empire but if they do die it should be in some sort of like great masculine backdrop against some some great you know on the battlefield or in some equally worthy fashion you know wielding a sword or whatever dying on the cross like a criminal was absolute total humility none of that would, would have given him the power boost we'd think he'd need to begin a world-changing movement. It just wouldn't. It, but his weakness still did change the world, and it still is changing the world. It is. See, this is how God works. Through weakness, God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong which means three challenging and comforting things for us. Number one, we can all be included. Like the vineyard likes to say everybody gets to play, right? We can all be included in the work of God because we are also quite weak, if we'll admit it. So chin up, chin up all you that feel less than, right? You know, all you who got chosen last for the baseball team or the kickball team, remember that, right? I did, I you know, all, all you who don't make as much money as the Joneses and feel it all the time, all you who've been traumatized, you hurt, you introverted, you know, who don't really have quite the right words in situations, you young, you old, you woman, you minority, and even this day we can say you Caucasian because we have a bad reputation right now. All you sheep <laughs> are useful in the hands of the shepherd. You are. Every, all of us are. And it's to his glory and through his mission which he calls us. All of us. Not just pastors, not just missionaries, not just church staff people. All of us. And he asked Moses, what's in your hand? What, what's, what do you got there, Moses? A staff? That's it. What's in your hand? Use what you've got. And he will work through you, right? 
Use what you got and he'll work through you. He will give you the words. He will use your weakness. Your authenticity. He will turn your shame not just into glory. He will turn your shame into his glory. Right? And secondly, this means it's in the weak and the vulnerable portions of our lives that God will do his deepest and most profound work. He will use your painful stories. He will use your less than moments. He will use your most vulnerable self. And thirdly, finally, it means we learn to welcome the broken and the weak in order to stay in the flow of God's redemptive work in the world. So a church, the church which has lost sight of wel- welcoming the broken in spirit is a church which isn't really lo- walking lockstep with the Spirit of God. We, d- we, we don't just want to th- know the lyrics of the gospel, know the ins and outs, the, you know, memorize the words and forget the melody. The melody makes the words come to life, doesn't it? You, you recite the lyrics of a song, and blah, 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 blah. That's not, that doesn't make you feel anything. When you sing it, you start to sway with the life of it. And that's the way we want to live the gospel in our lives. We follow our Savior and Him alone, nothing else, right? Whom Isaiah prophesied about, I love this. He says, He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. Think about that. Like a reed just kind of bruised and kind of bent over. He won't break it, right? A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. If you've just got the little bit of life in you, he'll like coax it back, right? In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. So in weakness he comes to the weak. In brokenness, he comes to the broken. He isn't loud. He isn't brash. He isn't arrogant. So many leaders are. He's quiet. He's meek. He's gentle. He's healing. He's life-giving. And we come as we are in weakness, but we leave transformed into the likeness of Christ. And it's a good image. These things are comforting and challenging at the same time because they both welcome us, you know, as we are. We, we just come as we are. We come in our weakness. But it, they force us to, to wake up to who we really are in Jesus. What is possible? Denial of what we are isn't welcome in the ongoing work of God. God calls us to face our own hearts. It's comforting to know, though, that God will not reject us because of our lack of merit. Because we don't measure up. That's not in the plan. It's challenging to know, though, that we have to earn that or or own that. We have to be aware of it. And we have to go to Him for it. Dallas Willard says, and somebody reminded me of this quote recently it says he said god's not against effort he's only against earning right we can't earn our place we don't earn our merit we're we're deserving of death in our sin but we can receive from jesus and we can walk it out with him we can try 
So like Paul, I also pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how, long, how, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know His love that surpasses knowledge, that surpasses strength, that surpasses all that stuff out there. To know His love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Isn't that a hopeful statement? Right? Rooted and established in Christ's love, being known to the very core of our being, trusting Him even with your frailty and your weakness. Slaying it all down. Let me end by saying, now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to His power that is in work and within us, He's at work in me. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Can you pray with me? Father, I thank You so much Who can rescue me from this life of sin and death? Thanks be to God, to Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank you that we can say that. I thank you that you did not and you never will give up. That your promises ring true from the very beginning to the very ends of the age. That people can say whatever they want but I'm going to hold on to the corner of your robe at least, at the very least, if I can't fully embrace you totally. I, am, I just want to get close to you. Think about that woman in the crowd, sick for 12 years or whatever it was, and she, all she thought is, if I could just touch him, if I could just touch his robe, I'll be okay. Come, Holy Spirit. Let us respond to you in that way. Just Everything we are just reaching out for you and embracing you in our time of need and weakness. Let us be free people, just people that are free of pride, free of anger, free of bitterness, free of rage, free of confusion, just people that are free in love, just that have risen above it all because you have filled us with the, the measure of fullness in Christ.